Dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Dropping the Hammer with Dale McFadden. I'm Dale McFadden, and this week, I we have uh, I say I say this pretty much every week. Um, we have a very special episode for you, and this time I mean it. Uh, this time we have Michael like, McDowell. <laughs> yes, Crow. <laughs> I'm not waiting anymore. We have Michael McDowell, the guy we've talked about for 30 episodes now. Yes. It, After 30 episodes of McDowell Watch, uh, we literally just got done talking to 2021 Daytona 500, Daytona 500 winner Michael McDowell uh, for about half an hour. Uh, it was a really great conversation. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. It kind of ended abruptly uh, because we had such a little uh, window to work with, but we did we it. We maximized the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, yeah, Crow and I just got done talking to Michael McDowell. We're about to bring you that interview. There's, we're not talking about Las Vegas this week because Denny Hammond won. Nothing else happened, uh, and we're going to Talladega this weekend, uh, where Michael McDowell has a chance to possibly win. He finished third there in the spring. But anyway, here is our exclusive interview with the 2021 Daytona 500 winner and playoff driver up until two weeks ago. And, Michael lyr McDowell. and lyrical gangster. And lyrical gangster, Michael McDowell. Enjoy. So yeah, the, the, welcome, welcome to, to Dropping the Hammer. Uh, all, all year we've had a weekly segment dedicated to you uh, <laughs> called uh, McDowell Watch. Yeah. Where, where we've been tracking your, your ups and your downs uh, yeah. th throughout the season. Like one, once you've won the 500, we we're like, okay, we're just going to keep track of what he's doing the, the, he's are automatically got the best year of his career uh let, let's see where it goes from here yeah so so not, not, now that you were you were unfortunately eliminated from the playoffs we thought we'd have you on and you, we could just talk about what this year has been like for you okay cool uh, but first uh we, we have some audio to play for you <laughs> all right um but we, we would like you to cue it up if you could cue it up by asking crow what time is it all right. Crow, what time is it? It's your theme music. I like it. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. But anyway, all right. There was one other clip I wanted to play just to kind of set the mood and get everything started off on a, you know, started off great. I'm sure you may recognize this. And we are now getting word from NASCAR. The winner of the 63rd running of the Daytona 500 is indeed Michael McDowell. They can go ahead and celebrate now. Uh, I'm so thankful. Such a great uh, way to get a first victory. Daytona 500, are you kidding me? So, Michael McDowell, um, how many times have you, in the last seven months or so, gone back and watched that moment um i don't know i mean if you by myself or something like that probably maybe only two or three times um but i've done a lot of interviews right so you see a lot and you <laughs> yeah. hear a lot so um that's why i haven't had to go back and revisit it too much just because you know we 
we had a lot of interviews those yeah. next couple months afterwards and you still have them. So, um, but I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it's, um, you know, it feels like a really long time ago. I, I think our season's kind of like that, you know, it's, it's a long season. And so it feels like, man, that was forever ago. Um, but it's fun to uh, relive those moments and uh, enjoy it. And, you know, obviously, as you guys have been watching, there's ups and downs uh, throughout the year. So um, it's good to have the ups. The downs aren't so much fun, but, um, you know, it's all part of the part of the whole year and the journey. So, I mean, the, the year's not not over yet, but up, up to this point, you, you make the playoffs for the first time, you win the 500. You get you get kicked out of the playoffs after after Bristol. How, how do you how do you encapsulate the season up to this point so far for you and your team? Yeah, you know it's it's definitely a mixed bag because you know you we got you know not just the five hundred one, but we started out so strong. Yeah, you know with you know really three top tens in a row. We went you know from the five hundred to Daytona Roval to Homestead and. Um, even beyond that, we had good runs as well, you know, so the start of the year was going so well. And then, you know, we kind of hit our, uh, I would call it like our normal stride of, you know, some weekends 20, some weekends 15th, 16th, kind of in that normal range where um, we expect to be. And mm-hmm. then we hit a funk of, you know, just poor finishes, you know, whether it be, mistakes or mechanical issues or crashes and you know it's unfortunately it's just been it feels like a month and a half two months of that you know where it's just back to back to back to back so um, that's been tough I mean it's you know you go through those those different moments in the season Um, and when like you said we still have a lot of racing left so you want to finish strong you know the the positives between you know, the, all the ups and downs have been that our race cars have been competitive and been fast. So, I mean, it really started at Sonoma as far as the downhill, you know, trajectory is like we were running in the top 10 easily in the top yeah. 10 last lap, got together with Suarez and then, you know, he spun me out and, you know, that went from being a eighth place finish to a 30th place finish, you know, and How then, much you that, know, oh, sorry, no, um, go ahead. How- how much of that early success do you attribute to just like that energy coming from, you know, that big win or just like the preparation you did in the off season? Um, so I would, I would say depends on who you ask on our team. They'd all answer <laughs> different, but for me, I would say 10 or 20% was just the energy from winning the 500. I would say most of it came from, you know, how we finished last year, like the end of 2020, we were running pretty well we were in those teens, a lot of, a lot of the, you know, the back half of the season and, you know, had some top tens, had, had some really good runs, but more than anything, we had speed. So going into 2021, we felt like, you know, we had time to work on our cars in the off season. There wasn't a lot of changes, you know, with NASCAR, a lot of times you're chasing changes. And Mm -hmm. with the, with the pandemic, the last two years, there hasn't been these big significant rule changes. So we were able to you know, make our race cars a little bit better. And so we sort of felt like we were going to have an opportunity to, you know, to run in those top 10 to 15, you know, those first few races. And obviously Daytona, we know that we have a shot to win. So it wasn't, it, it was not a shock, but at the same time, it was nice to, uh, to be able to do it. Um, So, yeah, so it's, you know, like I said, it's, 
it's the momentum kind of rides up and down, right? And, but the speed in your race cars is what allows you to kind of get back on track. And so even into the playoffs, I mean, I don't think they could have gone any worse than they did. Um, but it wasn't from a lack of preparation mm -hmm. or speed. Our cars were actually really good. And unfortunately, it was just too many mistakes. You know, I, obviously at Darlington, I got loose there, hit the wall that, that killed the day. Um, but I felt like we had literally had a top 10 to 12 car there, which is really good for us. So I, mm -hmm. I was really pleased with what my team was able to do as far as digging down deep and building faster race cars to get ready for the playoffs. And then Richmond, the same Richmond, we probably weren't quite as good as we were at Darlington, but I felt like we could probably run 15th. Um, and then we had, you know, massive mistakes with, with pit road and, and it just all fell apart. Um, so yeah, so it, it just kind of fell apart, but the good news is we've had speed. And so we should be able to get back to, to running strong and, and finishing out the year strong, hopefully. So like what, 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 how difficult is it for you to, you, you, you win the 500, then you basically, you go through 20 races or so of waiting for the payoff of that to happen, which is the playoffs. And then the playoffs happen. And it, it, like you said, it just goes about the worst way you possibly could. And then it's over. Yeah. Like yeah. How, how do you process all of that for, for, for yourself? Well, um, a couple different ways. You know, the first thing is in racing, you learn that you have to move on quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't, you'll just you'll just stay in the funk, you know, and, and our sport doesn't really allow that because you got to go next week and you got to go next week and the show still goes on. So you can't stay in the moment too long, um, highs or lows. Um, so for the playoffs, you know, that's part of it. The second part of the playoffs is we knew going into the playoffs that it was going to be extremely challenging for us to move forward. We knew that um, we were looking at, you know, two tracks that are probably our two worst tracks <laughs> in okay. the first three. Um, and so we sort of knew that this was going to be an uphill challenge. Um, so, you know, that's part of it. You know, I think if you're Kyle Larson and you've, you know, you're running for a win every single weekend, and you get knocked out in that first round of the playoffs, it probably stings really bad. Um, and for us, it stings because it was self-inflicted wounds and we actually mm. could have, you know, had a chance of advancing. Um, but at the same time, we knew that the probability was pretty, pretty low. So, you know, for us, it's about now, it's about, you know, getting as, as much results as we can and trying to, you know, beat a few guys in the points still. You know, we still have that opportunity to do that. Um, the next two weeks are really important. Um, Talladega, uh, Charlotte Roval, you know, really important for us to, to get at least top tens, you know, and, and really that's, that's kind of the mindset is we know at the beginning of every year, all right, here's our 10 tracks that we have a shot at, at having top five, top 10 runs. And we got to maximize those races. And in the beginning, we did really well maximizing those races. And then mm -hmm. now we've kind of tapered off. So we just got to get back into, you know, getting those results at those places because, you know, those that's what gives us that energy and that motivation. And we know that every week it's not like that. So we got to make those ones count. So with Talday, where you finished third in the spring. So that means that mean you, you have a shot to, to, yeah. to get that win. So what would it mean for you with either either Taldega or the Roval to have an impact on the playoffs, even though you're no longer in it? Like you, you can like still say, hey, guys, I'm, I'm not going away. I'm still here. 
I'm impacting what's happening to you. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a unique situation when you're not in the playoffs and you're, you know, racing at those races, but at the same time, everybody understands it, right? So it doesn't change my approach. You know, I think Talladega just do what we always do and try to be aggressive and be up front. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I think that the one nice thing this year is we were in the playoffs. So even if you say uh, he isn't in the playoffs, like the fact that we were in the playoffs, yeah. I think gives us a little bit of leeway with the other, you know, 12 mm-hmm. guys that are racing for a championship. Not that you can, you know, just be irresponsible and, and jeopardize, you know, somebody's season. You, you wouldn't want to do that. Um, but at the same time, Talladega and Roval, those are races where those things can happen regardless of who it is, you know? So, um, everyone knows that these are the two wild cards. Right. And, um, and so what happens happens, but yeah, you're definitely thinking about that stuff. So like you, you mentioned you guys benefited from there not being a lot of change from year to year from last, last seasons, but that's going to be very different uh, this off season. Everything's changing. Um, So like with six races left with the next gen car on the horizon, what, what can you guys learn do as an organization in these last six races that could have a tangible impact on what you guys are doing come february learn nothing i mean nothing will apply (laughs) i mean really it won't you know i can i could try to make up things and tell you but it doesn't nothing applies um but what does matter is results right results are always good um we need to score more points we need more top tens we need more top fives and you know, we need to have a shot at winning at Talladega. Um, and then just going in the off season with momentum and confidence helps, right? And just overall, you just the overall atmosphere and attitude and, um, you know, it's always good to finish the season strong so that you go into that off season and everybody's kind of pumped up and feels good, you know? Um, and that has, you know, a, a good impact on how you start the next season. So it is important, but as far as, you know, information carrying over, you know, other than confidence and feeling good about yourself, <laughs> nothing's going to carry over. Um, unfortunately, that's, you know, the, just part of as big of a change as we're making. I mean, nothing will carry over, you know, if you just pit stops, everything changes, right? The Everything about it, tires, wheels, brakes, there's nothing that, you know, will correlate. Um, so, yeah, there's, you know, there's still still a lot to race for, though. How, how strange of a position is this to be in as a driver, knowing the whole, the universe of the NASCAR Cup Series is just going to be so completely uh, unrecognizable in six months? Yeah, I like it. Um, I think it's, you know, a great opportunity for me and for our team, just with the platform of this, you know, next-gen car being somewhat spec, you know, all the parts pieces, you know, are, are for the most part, our spec. And so I think that that's going to help us a tremendous amount. Um, I think it's going to close the gap to the leaders for us, you know, those big teams. Um, And then I also too think from my background of open wheel sports cars, um, I've driven cars very similar to what this next gen car is like Mm -hmm. uh, on tires and wheels and brakes and, and steering components and steering racks and all those things that a lot of these guys are experiencing for the first time and are having a hard time adapting because our car currently is so unique. I mean, it's so unique that it doesn't correlate to anything else. 
where this next gen car will correlate to a lot of different forms of, of motorsports. Um, so it's definitely going to be a big change. So I feel like the big change creates opportunity. Uh, the best teams will always be the best. You know, they always rise to the top. You just give them time and they'll figure it out. But I do feel like it gives me an opportunity and gives us an opportunity to have more than just four or five tracks that we can win on. So like the last couple of months, you know, there, there's been rumors and speculation about what Front Row Motorsports future is going to be beyond, beyond this year. Like, have you officially like re-signed with FRM for next year yet? Um, nothing official yet, but it's always okay. been the plan. I mean, there's not, there's not really any secrets here. You know, we're, we're a small kind of family run atmosphere here. So, you know, I talk to the, I talk to the owner, Bob Jenkins. I talk to the general manager every week. We have these conversations. It's not like my agents, agents, you know, trying to get the lowdown of what's happening here. I just walk into the office and say, <laughs> Hey, what's happening? Are, are we good? Yeah, you're good. Okay, cool. Well, let me know when you want to sit down and go over it. Um, so it's, it's not a big concern of mine. I mean, there's obviously a lot of moving parts that are happening right now. Um, and I don't know all the details of all the moving parts, but the parts that I do know, I feel good about. And, you know, I'm not, not super nervous about what next year will look like currently. I'm going well, to jump you. in here, Daniel, real fast. Okay. So, so our dynamic, so Dan, Daniel's the journalist, you know, he, he's worked for NBC and all this stuff. I'm just a fan that grew up on NASCAR and uh, down in Arkansas. So, you know, with all the dirt tracks. So my interest with you is the, uh, like, I, I want to know like your personal experience, right? Cause it just, it's cool to me to think about, you know, you, you, you had this long career, you know, and you have this big win, this big moment. And I'm just kind of curious, like how, do, like, how does this change the experience for you? You know, like, you're, you know, when, you know, in next year, whenever you show back up to Daytona, you know, like, are you going to, do you feel, do you walk in feeling like a new man almost, or, you know, coming back to the, the race, you know, that you won last year? Do you, um, you know, when you're walking around the track now, do you, do you feel like you suddenly have just a whole lot more friends around that wants to talk to you? <laughs> you know, yeah, do you feel like yeah, you're getting I a little see. bit more respect from the drivers or the other teams, you know, uh, you know, that's kind of what I'm curious yeah. about. Yeah. So th there's a lot of questions in that. So I'll try yeah. to answer them as <laughs> best I can. Yeah. Just describe so, your experience, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, obviously going back to, we've been back to Daytona a few times now, right. With the Roval yeah. and then obviously, you know, a, a few, well, probably months now ago, but, um, you know, so yeah, there, there are certain elements that feel cool. Um, you know, as far as like some of the history stuff, the museum, you know, the walk of fame, all those things that you got to do as a Daytona 500 winner, you know, those are fun and take them in and they're cool moments. Um, you know, me personally, just the way that I'm kind of wired and my personality, it doesn't add any swagger for me as far as walking <laughs> in there. Um, I've always been fairly confident um, just in general of my ability. And I've never really, you know, struggled much with that. So I, it's didn't go up or down, if that makes sense. Um, and as far as, you know, my com competitors and guys I race with, um, it hasn't changed a whole lot, but I think that's because I've, I've already, even before the win, earned the respect, if that makes sense, you know, because I've been grinding and out a long time and most of those guys know that, you know, and, um, and so the last few years have been a pretty good progression for me as far as just every year it's been getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Um, so it, I don't feel much different at the racetrack if, if that answers it. Um, some of the peripheral things, you know, fans and, yeah. and 
you know, experiences are different, which is fun and it's cool. Um, but yeah, not so much in the actual inner circle, you know, um, I think a lot of people were happy for me and they were excited for me, which was fun, um, because you don't have that a lot in sports where people are, you know, they're not pulling for you necessarily, but if they can't win and you do, and they're excited, that's fun. Um, so yeah, so there's, you know, there's been a lot of cool experiences with it, but I think the one thing it did change for me. And this goes back to that, what you're talking about with just attitude and overall feel. And I noticed it the very next week when I went to Daytona again for the road course was I didn't realize the amount of pressure and angst that I carried around um, trying to get that first win. Right. So I've been in the sport a long time. I've been, you know, fighting a long time to be in a position to win a race and I know the races I can have a legitimate shot at winning and so going to a road course going to a super speedway I always had this feeling of like this is it I have to make it has to happen today has to happen now if if it doesn't happen now it'll never happen and I didn't realize I was carrying that around so the second week when I went back to Daytona it was just a weird feeling for me because on race day, I didn't have all that pressure, that extra weight. And it wasn't that I didn't care because I still cared and I studied and I put all the work in, but it was like, like I said, I didn't realize I was carrying so much of feeling like it has to happen today that if I don't do everything right, it'll never happen. Does that make sense? Oh man, that resonates so much. (laughs) Yeah. So course, it was like, you know, I went in there feeling confident and prepared, but I also wasn't feeling this, you know, a lot of weight. Um, And so, yeah, so I think it did change a few things, but not really, you know, a a tremendous amount. So like you, you mentioned you had to grind it out. Like you, 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 you had 357 cup starts before the 500, before you won it. Um, so that that's over the course of about 13, 14 years. What kept Michael McDowell from just coming back for more year after year when it wasn't really working out for you at the cup yeah. level up to that point? Yeah, you know, I think that um, if I had to break it down, I would say there's a lot of reasons, but we'll just let's just say three main things. Okay. One, the priority, the number one reason is my faith. Like I felt like to me, I feel like God's given me an opportunity. I want to make the most of it. And even if it wasn't great and even if it sucked at times, you know, I wanted to give it everything I had. And cause I felt like it's, you know, to be one of 40 is still a privilege. Right. So I never lost that competitive drive, um, throughout all the starting parks and throughout all that. Um, the second part of that would be, I always held on to the hope that if I kept working hard, kept myself in the sport, that one day I'd have an opportunity, you know, to, to run full time, to be competitive and to win a race. Um, so I kind of always held on to that hope. And that was, that was an important aspect of it. And then the third thing that I think sometimes gets overlooked, because when you think of NASCAR and you think of drivers you think of guys that are flying on helicopters and planes and making millions of dollars right mm-hmm. um, that, that was not me that is not me um, currently and I was scraping just to get by those first seven or eight years and so the third part of it was providing for my family 
So when it was like, oh man, starting parking sucks. I had to remind myself, but this is how I pay my bills. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that that sometimes gets lost because if you think about professional sports, you wouldn't think about it like that. Right. You wouldn't think that somebody's, you know, doing it to literally, you know, pay the bills, but that's what, that's what I have had to do and have done for a long period of time. Um, so even when it wasn't fun or you felt like, man, ah, I should do something else. This is, you know, this, where is this going? You know, I had to remind myself of kind of those three things is that my faith, the hope that I could one day win and because I needed to provide for my family. So I, I guess sort of bouncing off of that, like if, if auto racing hadn't worked out for you, what, what, what do you, would you have envisioned Michael McDowell's day job being at this point? Like what, what, what's yeah. alternate, alternate universe Michael McDowell doing right now? Um, well, it depends at what phase of life. So 18 year old Michael McDowell, if it didn't work out, I would have gone into the military for sure. No doubt about it. Something I've always been passionate about. Um, and, you know, people say that, and I know that kind of sounds, yeah, sure you would, but it, you know, even, even now I still, still think about, you know, law enforcement, police department, you know, all those things. So that would probably have been my number one then at 18. Um, you know, as, as I got further along in my career and it wasn't going well, say I'm on my fourth year starting parking, <laughs> you know, I had to think about that a lot of what am I going to do? Because it's, it's been so year to year for me. I mean, every year it's been like, okay, not sure if I'm going to have a job and then it, and it kind of works out. So I've had a lot of time to think about what that plan B would be. And as crazy as it is, as much time as I've had to think about it, I still haven't landed on anything. Um, <laughs> you know, the generic answer would be for me, the generic answer would be that I would, I would be in ministry at some, some level, some point. Um, what that looks like, I'm not really sure. You know, there's a lot of things I'm passionate about. Um, but at the same time, I've never felt like that would be a career. I always felt like that's a part of what I do, um, not a part of um, what I do for a living, if that makes sense. And so, and then the, the natural thing is something in racing, right? Like this is all I've ever done. So, you know, I, I think I understand a lot of different aspects of the sport being that I've had to do a lot of different aspects um, through it all. So, you know, there's, if I had to get a job tomorrow, there's probably four or five things that I could do inside of motorsports that would pay the bills. Um, but yeah, I haven't landed on what plan B is. And I think that that's part of why I've stayed so committed. I think that, you know, people go through transitions in their life where they feel like a door's closing and one's opening. I've had that door closing feeling a lot, but I haven't had that another door opening feeling. Um, and so I've never been half in, half out. I've always been kind of all in um, just because I haven't had that tug of, oh, okay, I should start this or I should open this or I should do this. I haven't really had that feeling yet. So like speaking, speaking of doors opening, um, you got, I believe was your first national TV campaign, commercial campaign this year with carpods.com. That was your first, right? Yeah, I think so. So like I've, I've only seen it once well, outside of Twitter. Yeah. I saw it once at like 10 or 11 p.m. on Adult Swim on Cartoon Network <laughs> when I was in Nash in Nashville to cover that race a few, a few months ago. Um, so 
what, what was it like for you to see yourself in a commercial like that for the first time? And how often have you seen it actually pop up on TV, if at all? Yeah, I've seen it on TV organically like three or four times. Okay. Um, I think it depends on what region you're in because like my family on the West Coast, they see it a lot. Um, so that's kind of interesting. You know, we, I don't see it as much out here, but I've seen it maybe three or four times. Um, but it was a lot of fun. You know, I think that the one thing I enjoyed about it was they, they, they being carparts.com let me kind of be myself as far as my personality. <laughs> and most people don't know my personality just because of, you know, you get an interview for 30 seconds and yeah. you're pretty, you're pretty yeah. serious and, you know, you just got out of a 150 degree car and adrenaline's pumping and, you know, it's just, that's not your normal self either. Um, so most people that know me know that I'm pretty silly and goofy and, um, but the fans don't really know that because they're, <laughs> you know, they only get these little glimpses. So it's fun that they let me kind of be myself. Well, a couple episodes episodes ago, me and Crow, we had a discussion about which cup drivers <laughs> have, 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 the, yeah. have has the biggest dad energy. And, and <laughs> we settled on you unanimously. That you, you yeah, you with, with that question. I, mean, yeah. you, you, I don't know yeah, if you like, take that as a badge of honor or not. Yeah, well, I got a lot of kids, so that's good. How, how many kids? We have four. Okay, how, how old are they? Uh, 12, 9, 8, and 7. Do they care about what dad does for a living? Uh, they, yes and no. It's so, each kid's a little bit different, but it's not what you would expect. It's not like they're blown away with it, right? Because um, they're so used to it. So they kind of take it, you know, travel into the track and all that a little bit. That's their everyday life. So they take it a little bit granted. Um, but at the same time, there's elements that are cool to them, Um me not being one of those elements is so it's, uh, yeah so it's it's a pretty good balance you know I think that it's tough I think it's tough on families to kind of grow up in the spotlight and kind of being around mm. people all the time it's hard to be authentic you know even even when you're traveling you're on the team plane and you know what I mean they just like oh, yeah. you got to keep everybody together and everything you know, so um, but my kids have done really well with it. They enjoy being at the races, their communities there at the racetrack with other families. And so we've enjoyed it. Okay. So I think we're, I think we're starting to run out of time. So I, I just want to like rattle off, I guess, a, a few quick questions. So I, I didn't realize that you made your cup, your, your NASCAR debut in the truck series at Martinsville racing for Daryl Waltrip. Yeah. So how does Michael McDowell wind up in a truck at Martinsville driving for Martin for Daryl Waltrip. Yeah, so it, it all came together really quickly. Um, I'm going to try to give you a short version. I was racing for a championship in ARCA. Um, okay. I got hired by Michael Waltrip Racing before that was over to replace Dale Jared. Um, even though I didn't replace Dale Jared, David Rudiman did. Okay. I, I did. That was my team that I went into. They just changed the number. Um, so, but we learned through that process that I had to get approved and in order for me to get approved, I had to run a truck at a short track, a Xfinity car at a mile and a half after that short track. And then an Xfinity car at a super speedway before they would approve me for all the racetracks in cup. And that all happened like really last minute. Mm 
Okay. And so there was only five races left in the season in 2007. So I had to just jump in all of those that fit that mark um, before I could get approved by NASCAR to run in the Cup Series. Um, so obviously, Daryl Waltrip, brother with Michael Waltrip, he had an extra truck sitting there. My ARCA team went over and grabbed it and put it together. And we went to Martinsville. And you'll have to pull it up because drivers exaggerate. But there was like... <laughs> I don't know how many trucks were allowed to race then, but there was 10 or 15 go homers. And it was like Jacques wow. Villeneuve, Dario Franchitti, Sam Hornish, like all these guys that were trying to do the same thing that were going to be rookies in my rookie class. And so it was a really tough race to make, um, even at Martinsville, a truck race. And uh, so, yeah, so it was pretty intense that weekend. Um, but yeah, that's how I got to drive for Daryl is he had an extra truck laying around. We, we went over there and grabbed it. My crew chief, Patrick Donahue on my ARCA car, um, got the guys together, put it together and we went to Martinsville. Okay. I guess my, my last question, I'll, uh, I'll see if Crow has one is like you, at Bristol, you you chose for your intro song options by NF. Yeah. And I, I listened to it. I was like, ah, that's not, that's not a song. I would think that Michael McDowell would, you know, cruise down the highway too. Why not? Um, I, I don't know. Does, is, is this not the vibe you, you, you bring? So I was, I'm See, that's curious. What, that's what I mean. People don't know me well enough. I'm a lyrical gangster. Um, <laughs> that's the title of this podcast now. Um, yeah, so, 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 so here's what, the thing. I'll, let me elaborate. So I don't know if you've listened to any of his stuff. But it's all clean. Um, so all the rap that I listen to is all clean. Um, you know, usually Christian artists. Uh, I have some friends that, you know, Tadashi and those guys that are Christian artists. Um, and that song options, it, it fit good for Bristol, uh, because okay. I had no option. I had to win. Right. Okay. So the options are win. That's it. Um, but that <laughs> song was, was, has been my, I don't know what you want to call it, anthem. The last 18 months really? is like every year. I feel like I'm at the end of my career and I got no other options. Right. And so the, you know, the lyrics are, I got to make it or make it. And so those are my options. I have to make it or make it. And, you know, not in the next round of the playoffs, but like, like I had to, I mean, I'll just say it. I had to win a race this year to keep doing what I'm doing to keep my job. I have to keep having those moments in order to stay in it. So um, you start running out of options. And so that's kind of been my anthem song um, for the last little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I know it's, you're not the first person to, that say that, man, I wouldn't have thought you as a lyrical gangster, but I am. Hey, hey, Daniel, <laughs> I, I've pointed out to you before that if you remember Mark Martin, big rap fan. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, it you're always surprised right. everyone. Yeah, so but for, I mean, to be 100% transparent, most of the time I'm just listening to Caleb on the radio. Uh, but, you know, for me, if I go to work out or if I'm doing something intense or you want to have something like that, that would be it. Okay, I gotta go. Thank you very thank, much for for meeting with us, and right. it's been great following you all year. Thank you, all Michael. Right, for, thank, thank you for joining, dropping the hammer. All right, bye. McDowell, I hope you enjoyed it. It was a good time. Had got some great stories. Uh, we have a new nickname for Michael McDowell. Uh, I'm going to ask everyone listening who listens to this to post about this podcast episode <laughs> with the hashtag. Michael Mc, or tag Michael McDowell and then hashtag lyrical gangster. We have to make this a thing. 
Um, we just have to. If this podcast exists for any sole thing, it's to get lyrical gangster trending. <laughs> or just have, have that associated with Michael McDowell by the end of the year. So and, you know, I think our, our winter project or your winter project that I'm going to assign to you is that I think you need to send out a survey to find out every driver's like top 10 songs of the year or, or the top 10 songs that they listen to to get pumped up. We need to find out who's listening to the best music and who's listening to the worst music and who and, and who's listening to music that does not fit their personality whatsoever. Well, Michael McDowell's at the top of that last that last list. Uh, as, as, as we discuss, uh, in this, as, as we discuss, so, but yes, Michael McDowell, lyrical gangster, hashtag that, please. Um, we, I want, I want that far and wide, but anyway, um, please, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube at Dan McFadden slash, or please subscribe to us on, on YouTube at youtube.com slash Dan McFadden, like, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Follow me on Twitter at Daniel McFadden. You can follow Crow at DTH Crow. Um, I will post about this. Therefore, I will use it between now and the next episode. So, but but yes, this, this was a fun time. Uh, I'm glad we got to do this um, after Michael's uh, elimination for the playoffs. Uh, well worth it. An well amazing season. And it, the, uh, that was one question I, I, I meant to ask him. Like, before he won the 500, how did he envision his best uh, career as? Uh, best, uh, never mind. Anyway, uh, thank you for, for joining us on this very special episode of Dropping the Hammer. I'm Dan McFadden. I'm not. That, that's, <laughs> that's Crow. But thank you for joining us, and please tune in next week when we uh, recap Talladega. I'm taking... Um, screw it. I'm gonna, I'm taking Michael McDowell to win. Uh, Me too. We've got to. <laughs> we're both taking Michael McDowell. We, we we're gonna believe. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hold out that hope. He's gonna be the spoiler of the playoffs, and he's gonna get that win. I think that would just, I think that would just be appropriate. Um. The guy, the guy who just had a horrible playoff round and got eliminated when wins at Talladega that has a tangible impact on the playoffs. That'd be, I think that'd be great. So, but anyway, again, wrapping up again. Thank you for listening to Dropping the Hammer with Dan Lopadden. I'm Dan Lopadden. Uh, Have a great, great weekend. <laughs>